The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel and I'm here as always with Mike. And we're going to discuss the carnage that was Blood and Guts, this week's installment of AEW Dynamite. Mike, let's kick things off with the main event. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> that was jarring. That is not supposed to sound like that. I don't know why it's at like half speed. <laughs> Zen Kester, you 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 tricky bitch. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna see if i can rescue this my goodness i, I love it i, I don't that's think a... that's i don't think that's totally inappropriate for the match that we're about to talk about uh so much of the second hour of dynamite this week was the blood and guts match the uh titular blood and guts match and that uh, was between the two teams of the pinnacle and the inner circle and it followed the traditional rules of a, a war games match, which is two people enter in the beginning. One team has the advantage, and so they get to send in their second team member first, and then it alternates the rest of the way. So uh, in the parlay uh, that the two teams had had previously, Sammy Guevara elected to give the advantage to uh, the pinnacle. And Sammy Guevara also was the one who ultimately capitulated in this match by surrendering to try to save Chris Jericho. And in a Game of Thronesy turn, MJF decided to uh, kill Chris Jericho Jericho. anyway. He killed him. And throw him off the top of the cage. (laughs) So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Uh, First off, this was fun and i think what i loved about the lead up to this match is joel we've never seen a viewer discretion is advised on a dynamite before we've had hardcore matches we've had lights out matches we've had violent matches on dynamite so the fact that the opening hour of dynamite started with that you're like whoa because we're so used to the routine of just going into the dynamite intro so i thought that was a really good touch and then i kept I think it popped up right at the beginning of the second hour too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it just, it set the mood that this was going to be different. This was going to be something that you haven't seen on TV. And, you know, I think we've seen more violent spots, but the fact that this match started around nine fifteen and went almost the entire show, the rest of the show. Um, and God, who wasn't blighted in this match? <laughs> like, yeah. um, I think everyone came out with some color here and I want to talk about, I want to talk about stuff before. Like I'm not even talking about the matchup, but I loved how they came out. The pinnacle was in all white. Uh, the inner circle was in all black, their prison uniforms with where they're from. Um, I loved the camera shots at the beginning of the match when Sammy was on the right side of the cage and who, who started Dax Dax Harwood. Yeah. Dax Harwood was on the other side of the cage and they just had that wide shot of the two looking at each other at the opposite sides. Like it just, it felt big. And 
what I sometimes with matches like this, I worry that they kind of slow down because it's a marathon match. I felt like the timing of the entrance of all the new wrestlers, this was pretty much fast paced until the all 10 people were in the ring. I felt like there was a very brief portion of time where the pinnacle were just kind of dominating and it slowed down a little bit. Um, but you kind of need that in a match like this. And it built up the anticipation to Chris Jericho entering the match Mm -hmm. and completing his team. And then the inner circle mounted a huge comeback. So it was a good match with a lot of ups and downs. And I thought the camera work was excellent. Cage matches are always Mm -hmm. tough to shoot because, you know, you're dealing with an obstacle to your sight lines. I liked that they did a callback to that initial shot once both teams entered. We got mm-hmm. a wide shot of both rings with the pinnacle on one side and the inner circle on the other. And then they all charged towards the middle and struggled to get through the ropes because that's a lot of people trying to get through <laughs> two sets of ropes at the same time. And uh, I really enjoyed the visuals of this match in general. I thought it was cool that the kind of trellis that went up uh in the middle was a little bit more um transparent because it was bigger pieces of metal with more space Mm -hmm. in between it allowed for some interesting shots and some interesting spots as well uh and we'll get into our favorite spots of the match later i have three in particular that i want to talk about uh but i just thought overall this was really really well done and you know to your point they did stuff to make it feel special. Even though this was occurring on an episode of Dynamite and not on a pay-per-view, this felt like a blow-off of a pay-per-view, the end of a feud. Let's settle this once and for all. Mm -hmm. And I think they accomplished that. Well, yeah, when you have the leader of one of the factions murdered by at the end of the show, like that's, that's pretty much uh, the end of it. Um, what I loved in this match is that we got a lot of different moments when pe- different people would enter the ring. So like, you know me, I'm not a big Hager fan, but Hager came in like a freight train and just like, they didn't have him do anything that he's not capable of. They just said, go out there, wreck people. Like he did a big boot to someone where I little like whoever sold it literally like smashed into the ground. It was wonderful. Um, the moment with Santana coming in after Ortiz and Samuel getting beat down. Um, I, I just thought there was some really good moments throughout this match that you could point to like, okay, I dig that. Um, didn't really like the unprotected chair shot, not unprotected, but it was a more of a dangerous chair shot than we normally see that Sammy took early on in this match. But um, I, I honestly have pretty like not a lot of complaints about this. I think, if there was ever a time to do commercial free for the second half of the show, this was it. Yeah. Um, because there was one of those transitions where they're at commercial where you had the picture in picture. Then it went to like the 30 seconds where there was no picture in picture. And when you came back, like the ring was just destroyed. <laughs> like, like I was like, what the hell? Like, cause it was yeah, pretty I felt jarring. Like there were some it, key moments yeah. that took place during the, even during the picture in picture, which like, I don't prefer that. I like the picture yeah. in picture. I think it's a cool thing, but the moment of Tully Blanchard attacking Bryce Remsburg on the outside of the ring to get the key so that mm-hmm. he could allow MJF to get outside of the cage. 
that felt like a moment that needed narration. And that's one thing you can't have in picture in picture. You know, I need JR and Excalibur and Tony talking about that and selling how dastardly it was to assault a referee in order to gain advantage in the match. And that, I mean, but that really, it feels like a nitpick. That's the only complaint mm-hmm. that I have. This is a really good match. And um, Hager looks really good in pants. Like, yes, most of his look was good in general, <laughs> but I think it sells just how long his legs are mm-hmm. and his proportions just look better. The singlet and the little shorts, like those are not good looks for him. They make him look smaller. And I, I think putting him into either street clothes or a different style of wrestling gear would go a long way to making him look bigger and tougher. Um, I I felt like the reverse was true with Wardlow. I felt like he looked smaller in the singlet that he was wearing. Maybe it was because it was white. Maybe it was the cut of it, but he, he is smaller than Jake Hager, but he didn't look smaller in everything leading up to this Mm -hmm. in this match that size difference was apparent. And he was another one who got a really big moment when he entered the match. It just started completely shithousing people. And (laughs) I really enjoyed how everybody did kind of get their moment and their shine. Um, Sean Spears had some big moments. I loved his chair, his special chair with his logo Mm -hmm. on it. Um, I'm a sucker for gimmicks like that and uh, really enjoyed his contributions. Um, obviously massive props to Sammy Guevara and Dax Harwood for going the distance and being the first people to enter the match and still being a part of the finish in particular in Sammy Guevara's case. So, uh, really good stuff. Yeah. Do you want to touch on some of our favorite spots before we get to the ending and and what that means? Yes, I do. Cool. Uh, one, we'll just go back and forth here because I feel like we both have a couple, um, that Spanish fly off the middle set of ropes early in the match. Mm-hmm. I think it was Sammy to Dax Harwood. Like one slip and that spot is just busted. Like yeah. the Spanish fly looks incredibly hard to do when you're doing it off the turnbuckle. That is like pretty much in mm-hmm. place. So the fact that they managed to not only not die setting up the spot, but that they got the lift and the rotation down. I thought it was just absolutely incredible. Like that was probably my first like, whoa moment of the, of the match for me. Yeah. I had that one on my list as well. And I think it was Sammy and Sean Spears and they had a collar and elbow tie up where both of them were standing on the top rope, but <laughs> on the opposite top rope. Cause of course you have two sets in mm-hmm. the middle and then Sean Spears got hit from behind, stepped across onto Sammy's side and then Sammy hit him with the Spanish fly and and that just looked fantastic I'm gonna keep it with Sammy Guevara for my first spot on this list he was an all-star in this match and just Mm -hmm. looked freaking incredible but the double springboard cutter where he jumped up onto one set of the middle ropes hopped to the second set of middle ropes and then did a diving stunner on some or sorry cutter a diving cutter on somebody like that was just yeah so pretty and and sold brilliantly. 
Like, yeah, that was by Dax. That, that was early, early on. Yeah. That was before even uh, Sean Spears entered the match. So that was yeah, within the first so. five minutes. Um, but I mean, I don't think I've seen a spot that technically challenging that was hit so flawlessly and sold so well. Like that just blew me away. And it reminds you of the level of talent of all these people. And I think it was a spot that played perfectly to the biggest strengths of both of the performers. Mm -hmm. Sammy's biggest strength is the high flying, crazy agility and Dax Harwood. He sells about as well as anybody in the wrestling business. So I thought this was spectacular. What else you got? Oh man, there was a spot. I think it was between the Hager Wardlow kind of confrontation where Ward, like Hager was running, running towards Wardlow and Wardlow like flipped him over and Hager seamlessly like flipped over him over the ring ropes and landed on the apron between the cage. And like, because Hager's so goddamn big, I'm like, is his feet going to hit the top of the cage? Is it like a punter at Cowboy Stadium hitting the Jerry Tron? Like it looked insane because of how tall he was and he landed perfectly. Like Joel, what's wrong with me? I'm praising Hager. That's my second Hager <laughs> praise tonight. I don't, I don't like, I don't know what to, what to think right now, but it just, it was so incredibly smooth and just the size of the two guys doing the spot. Like, I don't even think of, there was a, a move that resulted. He might've been like, he just punched him when he came up. But the fact that, um, it just was so seamless, I thought was really impressive for a guy that big. And also with the cage, there's like, no room for error because if you mess that up, your feet are hitting the cage and you're probably falling in between uh, the ring and the cage like Ortiz did. Yeah, that was a little bit scary. Ugh, the gory bomb into the side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was a really cool spot also. Uh, but the next one I wanted to talk about uh, was similarly scary uh, Chris Jericho and Sean Spears were tussling in the middle oh. section and Chris Jericho managed to get Sean Spears hung up on the trellis to where like he was hanging by his neck. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he's kind of got his feet under him on the chain link. And so what does Jericho do? He jumps backwards off into the ring and takes Sean Spears' legs out from under him on the way. And so then Spears is left dangling, you know, flailing, trying to get his hands and feet on the chain link so that he doesn't hang himself from this, uh, this ring structure. And I thought it was really selling the brutality of this match and the hatred between these two groups because... You know, it's basically attempted murder in a wrestling ring. And there That's was a okay. lot of that going around in this match. So uh, those were the ones that I wanted to talk about. Do you have anything else that, you know, Man. we need to spotlight before we talk about the finish? Uh, I love I love a good coast to coast. So props to Sammy for nailing that. It's a classic always. And also like the guy who we know who does it, Shane McMahon, like he's doesn't have the hops anymore he doesn't have the hops anymore so there was sammy probably could have gotten another two feet <laughs> for me honest if he needed to um i i like the uh ftr with they, they took a dual spike pile driver on the exposed pine um oh, yeah at one point also freaking i think it was ortiz stabbing mjf with a fork 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I think that was Santana. I think that was Santana. Santana. Yeah. Um, and they were both, just of course, wonderful. in their dead president's makeup. Oh, so such a good you know, look. Yeah. That, I mean, everything about the presentation of this match was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the ending here. It the the match culminated with Jericho and MJF on top of the cage, which I like there being a top of the cage. I know the NXT War Games cage, it's open, right? It's open air. Yeah. And that's not yeah. traditional. The open air? Is it is this more of what like Yeah, War Games is a closed cage. Okay. So uh the the NXT reincarnation of War Games that was one of the the complaints from fans early on who were like this isn't correct you know the cage is yeah. supposed to be closed on top there's supposed to be no escape so which of <laughs> course you know it's pro wrestling people are going to escape anyway but mm-hmm. you know yeah well it seemed like they a they probably wanted to honor the original uh, construct and two this really was important for the finish of this match Jericho had him in the walls of Jericho. A low blow ensued, and then MJF locked in the salt of the earth, nailed him with the dynamite ring, and then he threatened the inner circle, surrender, or I will throw him off the roof. They all panicked. Everyone looked scared. Sammy eventually screamed, we surrender, we surrender. Pinnacle music starts playing, and then MJF went full Game of Thrones here, Red Wedding, and threw Jericho off the roof anyways. Joel, what was your reaction to this moment at the end of this this show i mean i I think we all knew it was coming Mm -hmm. and so it's not one of those surprise i can't believe that just happened kind of moments it's the this i know this is what's going to happen and so it needs to be done well and it was done well um i know that some people have been kind of complaining about the visual um Mm. but like that was actual metal paneling. It was just very thin metal paneling attached mm-hmm. to other materials because you could tell from the sound that it was making when they were, you know, moving around on it when medical was, you know, checking out Jericho. Mm-hmm. That was actual metal paneling. Uh, it was also 50 not, fucking years old, guys. Like, yeah, like just falling from that man. height. Like, <laughs> I don't want to fall from that height onto a mattress like and and I'm, you know, not close to Jericho's age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mad props. And I, I think the mistake was that the first visual we got was the close up. Right. Mm-hmm. They sh- the first I'd- thing we should have seen was the wide shot because that looked gruesome. Yeah, seeing it's him wide. fall from that side view and and hit and seeing the impact, that was the better shot. And so I guess that's maybe my my other mild complaint is that we got the wrong camera angle first. Yeah, it's it's not a coincidence. In the other wrestling company, Joel, we were at Mania in New York where the Miz won that last, or did he lose that last man standing match because they like fell off of the all the angles of it was from distance or whenever Shane McMahon has jumped off of something, it's always that long, long mm-hmm. view. They show the close up eventually, but like if you're using the crash pads, don't those deflate a little bit? Like you could have waited for those to kind of dissipate after he crashed into the ground and then get the close up. So 
I, I, I had people, I saw people last night comparing this to the revolution explosion. And I don't get that at all. Like the, the explosion, we both can agree. Like that was a dud. The match was still great, but that was, that did not go over well. I don't, I don't see how this is in the same realm at all. No, that, all. that was an instance of not achieving what you were going for. This, I don't think it was. I, I think this, they got exactly what they wanted. The only thing that was, you know, probably a matter of inexperience was choosing the wrong camera angle. Yeah. Like, and they're a two and a half, two year old company. Like double mm-hmm. or nothing is their two year anniversary. Like fans need to cut them some slack. <laughs> like, like this was not a colossal fuck up of anything. And what I kept reiterating to people last night is the moment wasn't Jericho hitting the ground. The moment was MJF throwing Jericho off. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to take from, from the storytelling perspective is well, MJF is the bastard who did this. And, and that Sammy was the one who screwed this all up. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like I talked about in the open, he gave up the advantage. He made that decision because he's a hothead because they got under his skin. And then again, when push comes to shove, literally, <laughs> Sammy is the one who surrenders on behalf of the team in order to save his mentor. And then it ends up, of course, backfiring on him. The more experienced members of the inner circle probably saw that coming. So it's yeah. like, oh, shit, the boss is going over, but we're not going to give in because he's going to go over anyway. MJF yeah. is not a man of his word. Yeah. Um, and leading up to the this match they talked about how the inner circles family like Sammy Guevara's like giving up that match is a good example of that so it's a continuation of what we've seen in the buildup of this story so yeah I I, I love the ending I thought it was really satisfying I, and you know MJF has referred to Jericho as a mentor in a way too so you know the the mentee killing the master how, we see that in literature movies all the time it's a classic trope and it works here. It works here. And I don't know where they go from here. What if if this, this has to truly, you don't go to war games or blood and guts and continue the storyline. So I feel like we finally have to be near the end here, but um, from a story that I don't think we were initially all that interested in, I feel like the match delivered and they hit the key story points that we were hoping they would hit. Agreed. I think, the last thing to kind of talk about before we move on into lightning round is where do we want this to go next? So I'm going to pose this question is what do you want to see for Chris Jericho and the inner circle moving forward? Cause the pinnacle, I think like they're going to continue to be a dominant faction, do their thing, pick fights with other people. Where mm-hmm. do we go now with the members of the inner circle? Are they still a group? Do we see Jericho for a while? What's your take? I think this is a, if you were looking for a chance to get Jericho off of TV for a little bit, um, cause he was off for what, two, three weeks after his beat down two weeks, I think where they, they beat the shit out of him earlier in this story. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I kind of want them to, I, I think they're still be together because, you know, they talk about how, you know, uh, Jer- uh, uh, Jericho was asked this week about factions and he talked about how in Japan, everyone's in a faction because it gets you screen time. I would kind of like to see them be a little more loosely affiliated. Like they're still part of the inner circle, but Santana Ortiz go fight the young bucks for the title. Don't make it. 
the inner circle versus the elite. Just go after the title. Uh, Sammy, maybe work with Jericho as like your manager and go after the U.S. title or something like that. Hager can still be the Barty God when need be, but I would like to see them not necessarily have inner circle centric us against someone stories and let them do their individual stuff while still being affiliated when push comes to shove. Like, okay, down the line, Santino Ortiz gets screwed out of the titles and start getting beat, beat down by a group. Okay. You can have the save because we're in the group together, but they don't have to have that story be the dominant thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I I'd like to see, uh, Jericho be out for an extended period of time because I think there's an opportunity to signify that he, as the leader, as the figurehead, was the linchpin holding this group together. And that with him out of the picture, these disparate parts start to move away from one another. And then you have the opportunity to get the band back together when you bring Jericho back into the storyline. So... I'd like to see something like that so that we can see more individuality from Sammy, Sammy Guevara and proud and powerful. Cause I think those are two entities that are ripe for a bigger, more significant run. And I think it's hard to do that when they're tied into inner circle stuff. Um, and I get what you're saying with the, like keep them in a faction, but loosen it up a little bit. And if they, that's the, route they choose to go down i'm down with that the main thing is i want to see sammy in major singles matches and i want to see mm-hmm. proud and powerful in the title picture in the tag team division yeah like for example like say miro does take the tnt championship belt off of darby allen next week and darby and sting go and do their thing with uh scorpio sky and ethan page miro and like sammy guevara could put on a great story and a great match like let them do that. Um, I don't even. We don't even need to say Santino Ortiz because we know they're a S tier level tag team in professional wrestling. They're gonna make it work, and we've seen Santino and Ortiz on the mic over the last few months. They don't need a Jericho mouthpiece. <laughs> they can handle their own stories and their own their own stuff. So um, I would just yeah. If the point of the faction is to get stars, the younger stars over, or less lesser names known that the inner circle is a success because Sammy Guevara is probably one of the just most highly rated prospects in professional wrestling right now that like he's up there with Darby Allen, orange Cassidy in my eyes and, and AEW's future. And while we wrestling nerds knew Santana Ortiz, they're even bigger stars now. And then when they got here, hell I'm praising Hager for God's sake. So the inner circle has been a success. Now let, let them run with that success without having to be the tethered to, whatever story Chris Jericho's getting them into that makes sense. So well said. Okay. Let's uh, let's hit up a few topics in lightning round. (laughs) Let's see how this drop sounds, man. (laughs) (laughs) We should keep them like this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Joel, so, the championship uh, match I, I never knew I wanted, but now I need. Orange Cassidy has to win that match against Pac next week, right? Right? I, it kind of feels like that's where they're leaning, <laughs> given that Pac wasn't around to have a moment with Kenny and, and Orange Cassidy was. 
Um, I'm happy either way. We have seen Pack and Kenny throw down more recently. So um, I was there. And I know that Orange Cassidy and Kenny, like they click on so many levels in terms of the styles of wrestling that they can do. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, we also know that Kenny, when he wants to, can work a very funny comedic style too. Absolutely. So they these two could really weave in just a crazy combination of styles here to the point where like it could be comedy for 75% of the time and then just go like, oh my God, he's about to cut off Cassidy's head. Like it could, it could shift to that dramatic. So um, I really enjoyed this promo. I thought this was... It it was nice because it was still Kenny putting himself over like his heel character does. But like he's basically saying, yeah, the only thing you got from me is my look. You stole my glasses and then giving him to Nakazawa. I'm like, yeah, Nakazawa, you got some new shades, dude. Good for you. Um, I just thought this was a really good promo. Um, sometimes you just don't know how good a combination is until you see them on screen together. That's exactly how I felt here with Orange Cassidy and Kenny Omega. So I got to talk about my favorite look of the night, which was not in the main event. It was our dude, Anthony Agogo. Mm-hmm. I love the look with the little hat and the suspenders. And like, he was just looking fly. And, and I loved it. I, I enjoyed the match between Cody and QT Marshall. Uh, But the post-match is really what this segment was all about. Cody may have won the battle, but he didn't really win the war and was absolutely pouring blood in this match. Like, yeah, I don't know. That was a hard way. That was not. (laughs) I I don't know what spot it was that busted him open. It wasn't obvious. Um, There were some really cool spots in this match. But uh, yeah, he was definitely... Uh, nicked up pretty good. Um, my favorite spot from the match itself was the tombstone pile driver reversal spot, yep. which seemed to go on for a really long time. Uh, but just uh, I so think it was like physically impressive times. from those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice seeing younger guys attempt that spot, not a 55-year-old Undertaker where they almost kill someone. So uh, good for Cody and QT. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this match. It was fun. It definitely isn't over between these groups. Um, and yeah, they're positioning a Kogo to be a, a, a go-go, a go-go, <laughs> a go-go, a go-go. I don't know. A go-go. Uh, they're positioning him to be a star. And I really liked him just laying the, <laughs> the union Jack on top of him like that. Like I don't like United States, like colors and like stuff for like, and ring gear and stuff. But there's no one in this in the world who has more American flag shit on their stuff than Cody. So to see Cody dropped with the Union Jack, I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool angle. You know, he's got it in his name. He's the American nightmare. So mm-hmm. I-, I liked having someone come in and, you know, do a little bit of uh, classic wrestling geopolitics. Uh, but, you know, in a less problematic way. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll see I have how no problem it pans with, out i have no problem with the kogo saying americans are smelly fat and lazy <laughs> like dude go all for it let's just leave it at that i'm fine with that um my next uh moment joel was uh darby allen getting thrown down a flight of stairs and like there was nothing like nothing there to protect him 
Like there was no padding. There was nothing. He literally just got thrown down a flight. And I'm sure there's a way as a stunt man, as a wrestler, as a skateboarder, he like knows how to fall. But Jesus, man, like I've fallen down the stairs like before and it fucking sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I yeah, know I'm my- simplifying it here. It sucks. <laughs> It does. It, it's it's not fun. It's it's a negative. Uh, my favorite thing from from this segment was Ethan Page detailing all of the injuries that he is responsible for that Darby Allen suffered. You know when they were both on the independents, talking mm-hmm. about you know a, a major elbow injury, talking about a, a permanent dent in his forehead. Uh, you know this is this is good stuff and. I have no idea about their their history together. I'm not that plugged in, uh, but I'm intrigued to see more of these two competing with one another. Yeah, I also I like in AW that indie history is not like off limits, mm-hmm. like, and they can get clips from these other companies too. So, uh, yeah, I really I really enjoyed that segment, and it. I don't know if if Darby's really going to lose the belt because apparently Darby Allen's segments have been amongst the highest rated over the last few months, which is why he's been having. Oh yeah, he's a huge draw. Yeah, these main event match after main event match. So I don't know if TNT's going to be like, yeah, take the belt off him right now. But um, that match next week with Miro, Miro's going like, to Miro's going to throw him to the moon. <laughs> like he's going to just <laughs> shoot him out of Daly's place. And he's never coming back. <laughs> so um, possible. Yeah. So Joel, you got another lightning round item for me? Well, I just got to say before we move on, like it wouldn't be the first time that, you know, a, a Russian sent something into outer space. <laughs> I know. I know. He's Bulgarian. I had to make the joke. <laughs> Darby Sputnik Allen. <laughs> if he starts calling him Sputnik Allen, like, because he makes up <laughs> names for everyone. You know, I would walking love it. Xanax I would love it. and Charles the Butler. If he calls him Sputnik, that means he's a, a loyal listener to the other wrestling show. So <laughs> that's good for us. What's up, Miro? That'd be amazing. Um, so the last thing I have, and I hate to do this because it's it's me kind of complaining about something. We didn't have a stock down segment uh, for this episode, but uh, it, it bummed me out a little bit that we got one women's segment on this show and it was like 90 second squash match Mm -hmm. that meant nothing. You know, we've, we've had so much good momentum in the women's division and this felt like a huge episode of dynamite and to give almost literally all of the time on this episode to the men was disappointing. It didn't bother me that much just because the focus for me was just the blood and guts match. Like everything else was just kind of whatever. Like, I don't really care. Like, honestly, you could have removed the Omega Nakazawa Mox Kingston match. Like that's probably a thumb down for me. Cause it wasn't like, there really wasn't anything good from it. Like it was fine. It was, it was, eh. um, so you could have replaced that and maybe done something, maybe given Brit a bigger match to showcase or put or how about Chris Statlander in action. She just came yep. back from injury we need to see more of her we we have so much going on we haven't seen thunder rosa in a hot minute so i mean there's so many opportunities and uh you know i want to see big swole on my tv again what's red velvet up to where's jade cargill like we need to see more of the stars that are being developed in this division 
Yeah, if, if we haven't had such a good run the last few like months, I think I'd be there with you. Like I said, it honestly didn't bother me that much because we have had some pretty good women's matches and segments here over the last few weeks. But yeah, you could have removed that Omega Moxley shin. I would have been just fine. Um, I have one last thing, and it was the video package for Moxley and... Uh, oh, God. You... How do you pronounce it? Yuji Nagata. Yuji Nagata. Yeah, Yuji Nagata. And it really was kind of name your favorite NGPW star because we have a picture of Nagata fucking them up. Did you see all of the people <laughs> in those pictures? Like, I recognized yeah. Okada. I recognized, um, uh, oh, fuck, the lanky one who does all the submissions. Um, I, I, I saw Evil. I saw, uh, uh, Ishi, like I was like, I recognize all these guys. So it was it was just kind of funny because I was I, like, as I was watching through, I'm like, okay, Nagata has fucked up my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite. Um, so I'm excited for that match next week. Obviously, he he is an older wrestler, um, but they wouldn't bring him in if they didn't think he was capable of doing something special here with Moxie. So I, I am excited for that match. Um, get a little throwback to some WCW days for on TNT. Absolutely. Uh, I look forward to it. I really enjoy Yuji Nagata. He was always one of my favorites to watch in the G1. And um, I think he's officially like retired from the G1, which is a thing that happens in New Japan. Wrestlers will uh, stop competing in that tournament. And uh, I think a couple of years ago or possibly even last year was his last run in the G1. So I could be wrong about that, but I think that's the case. Joel, anything anything else before we uh, wrap up here? Nah, man. I think this is a good one. Let's get it in the can. Yeah, and and just listeners, if you didn't know, the AEW was the number one show on cable last night. First time ever AEW Dynamite has been the number one show on cable. Led all demographics. Uh, 1.1 million people, I think, tuned in. So it's one of their maybe fourth or fifth shows to top a million. So... Congratulations, AEW, and I, I think I think I think they're gonna be around a while, man. Remember how nervous we were that like this wouldn't work? <laughs> <laughs> like, not that we didn't have faith that they could pull it off, but it's like, man, what if we get so invested and it just doesn't take off and they get mad at the ratings and it gets moved to TBS at 12 30 a.m. on a Saturday night? I don't think we have to worry about that, Joel. I think we're committed to this podcast for a long time because of this, because of them. I think so. RIP my Wednesday nights. Anne was asking me, how much, how many episodes have you guys done? I'm like, well, I don't know. We started last January and we haven't missed a week. <laughs> no, that's not true. We missed we, one. When? when? We missed one week. When did we miss one? There was a week where we just, we kept saying, oh, we'll record tomorrow. We'll record tomorrow. I think you were sick or something. Oh. Um, and I didn't want to record by myself. Well, you know what? We have bonus episodes, so we've basically never missed a week. <laughs> and we have our pay-per-view recaps. So I'm giving us the undefeated streak, Joel. Way to bring down my buzz. You can follow <laughs> the other wrestling show, and it's one week missed on Twitter at OWS underscore pod. You can find the sickly Mike at Michael underscore Aranda. You can find the perfect Joel at the other Joel. Uh, you can email us at the other wrestling show at gmail.com. I'm petty. You know it. <laughs> you can 
subscribe on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a like, give us a follow, give us a review. And Joel, anything else before I cook some chicken cordon blue and shower because I just went to the gym? Join the Dark Order. You should have said it really fast because it would be the opposite of all of our other fucking drops (laughs) tonight. Join the Dark Order. Join the Dark Order. Bye. (laughs) Remember, everybody, life's a work. Duck the clothesline. And happy wrestling.